Welcome to So Very Wrong About Games. It is a podcast about board games, and I'm here with my good friend, Mark Bigney. How are you today, Mark? I'm very well. How are you, Walker? Always good. One toothless. They call me toothless. Anyway, this is a podcast about board games. We're going to talk about the game that we reviewed last year. Then we're going to talk about games we played this week, news and why it doesn't matter, and then the topic of the week, which is when, why, and how should someone be excluded from a board game? So, Mark, I did it. What did you do, Walker? 40, over 40 board games packed up and dressed out to the auctioneers. Going to head over to the great, our great neighbor tomorrow and, and send them all out. So everyone will have new and improved games by next week. It'll be fantastic. Or at least old and improved games. Old and improved games, yes. Congratulations, Walker. It sounds like quite the undertaking. It was it was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope the swaggers appreciate your, your hard work. Well, I appreciate everyone who, who uh, bid and all of that great stuff. So anyway, on to this. Mark, last year we reviewed a game called Food Chain Magnet by yeah. Splatter Games. Yes, our as-yet-unnamed retrospective intro segment is a Food Chain Magnate. And we haven't tried the expansion yet, the catch-up mechanism and other ideas, although many people have been playing with the revised milestones because those are they've been published and translated for several weeks now, actually. And pretty much nobody uses the milestone cards. Almost everyone uses some combination of dry erase or player eight or something because you already need endless stacks of cards. Well, that, all that having been said, we haven't tried any of the new stuff. I have played Food Chain Magnate several times since we last reviewed it. It is one of the things, though, I, I, I wish I played it more often, primarily because every time I sit down to play it, I think, okay, this is going to be a long experience, and it's going to be a little bit arduous, but not necessarily in a bad way. And then I'm always amazed at how smooth and quick it is. It's often a 90-minute game with people who know what they're doing, and yet in my mind, it, it has this exaggerated scope, probably because of the depth of the decision space and how viciously competitive it is. I don't know if you have the same experience. No, that's the one thing I do have written down here. It's, it's the game that just does not get played enough. Right. It's a fantastic game. The, like you said, the flow and the fact that everything makes sense and you understand what everybody else is doing because it's you got a huge decision space, but... All of them make sense. So you can see, okay, while they're doing that, and that makes sense, and I'm not getting money, and I know why, because this person did that. It's not like this hidden out of nowhere. You know exactly what's going on, and it flows very well, and I really miss playing it. Food Chain Magnet. Brilliant, brilliant game. And I can't believe they didn't send us that expansion. You know, it is our idea. So I don't understand why we didn't get the first Yeah, copy. as a reminder, the week after we talked about catch-up mechanisms in our, yeah, they, on our podcast, no doubt the people at Splatter, having heard that, immediately thought, oh, well, that's a brilliant pun from people who appreciate brilliant puns. We'll call it the catch-up mechanism. Clearly our inspiration. Clearly. And we didn't even get a copy. It's, it's not right. It's, it's despicable, not, really. It's not right. It's not right. All right. Moving on to games that we played this week. Gugong I got to play. Love Gugong, new game that came out last year by Game Brewer. It's a card-driven game where you're giving presents to diplomats and you're getting actions and you're trying to maximize your actions and and remembering that jade is a lie. And <laughs> that being said, uh, my jade points put me ahead of the game. So, uh, and you know, you just got to make sure that you don't just go all in on the jade. You get jade when when you can, and uh, 
don't base your whole game around it. But I love Gugong. Yet another game with a huge distance base and where you can see everything that's going on. You understand what everybody's doing. Yeah, I haven't played Gugong in a while. I should try to rectify that as best as possible. I had another good week for miniatures games. I got to play Infinity. And part of me is feeling like I might be approaching the end of the road with Infinity. I still maintain that in terms of rules, universe, and miniatures, it's, it's, it's still my favorite miniatures game system. The problem is I've now played it about 60 or so times, and I am so set in my ways. There are millions of different viable army combinations and army builds in Infinity, and I tried... To, to break out of my standard rote... Because, I, I mean, I've played more or less the same game, the same session of Infinity, many, many, many times deploying the same tactics, the same grindingly attritional, very uninspired combined arms approach. And that's on me. That's my fault. And so I figured, okay, I'll build an army from an entirely different army group. I, I, I built an army with one of the new mercenary companies that was released in some of the new uh, expansions. And I thought, okay, these troops are entirely different, and I played them the exact same way. <laughs> and I just could not. Now, naturally, they underperformed, right? They didn't do the job as well as the other guys who are better suited to what I normally do. Uh, it still turned out the same way, though. Grindingly attritional, slow application of methodical force, uh, murdering everyone in sight. And so I, I, I have to take a step back and try. This is several times now. I've several times been playing Infinity on the advice of people with whom I play Infinity, or advice of people that I complain about Infinity with, try to do something different. Just try to bust out of your comfort zone. Just do something really different. Every time I've tried, it's ended up the same way. So the problem has to be me because I see other people playing radically different army lists, but I just always approach every game the same way. Which, and turning back to our discussion about miniatures games, that's really under undercutting many of the strengths of good miniatures rule sets. So I might have to take a step back from Infinity, or maybe I'll have to try something crazy different next time. But then again, I've said that before. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not even sure that this is a criticism of the game system. It's just it's I, I love the units that I love. I have such an enthusiasm for them and such a fondness for the fluff and how they work in the game. I ha you know, I just I just don't know what to do about it, Walker. Because I still love Infinity and I love the way all the mechanisms work. And there's a new player in town who wants to learn all the different stuff, and we've been gradually showing him more and more of the the, the, the details and the nuances. And he's super enthusiastic, and I respect his enthusiasm. But I've got a problem and I need to figure out how to deal with it. And that was my recent experience with Infinity. I, I should try this Infinity game. It sounds wonderful. It is it wonderful. Might get me back into some miniatures. Who knows? You could proxy your uh, terrible space marines. It's true. And then I could murder them, and then maybe that's what I need to make it feel more alive. There you go. I've I've mur I've been murdering Hakislam and nomads and and Chujing foot soldiers for so long. Killing a whole bunch of space marines yeah. would probably put a smile or on proxy a bunch of orcs out there. Something you know, mix it up for you. Well, Mark, we both played a game, and very seldom do we th use the word masterpiece or greatest game of all time. But both of those terms apply to this new game. It is called Slide Quest by Blue Orange. And it does things that no other game can. <laughs> you play this little knight that has a little ball bearing on his rear end. And there's four, four levers. It's like the old, it's like when you go, when you were a child and you went over to your friend's house and they had this Leviathan game with the dials and moving the marble around the maze and how you sat there for hours on end playing this game. Just take that and advance it with some really interesting game mechanics where you're pushing enemies into pits and, and 
and dodging the TNT or pushing the TNT up against the door to blow it up. All of this is in this game as you as you yell at your friends and you try to get through gates and fences and Mark, come on, back me up. So we only played it two player. Have you played it four player yet? I have not yet. Okay, see that's the problem. So there are four levers and I mean basically it's a two player or four player game. I think three players would be weird, one player would be controlling two levers. And again, I'm really I'm really being drawn to these real time bickering games. And the notion where you start blaming each other for what went wrong, it was very enjoyable, sincerely. But with two players, it's a little you get a little bit less of that than with four. Now, I grant you that the innovation in this design is is legitimate. It was one of those things where I was sold just from the initial concept of sliding this dude around a, a silly little maze. But when you start adding terrain, little plastic rocks and little plastic gates and little plastic fences, and then the enemies show up and you have to push them into specific pits and you have to push them in order and then you have to go after the boss and then there's dynamite involved and it it really does elaborate on a very, very simple concept in a very, very pleasant way. And you're supposed to play five levels at a time. We burn through 15 or 10 or something all at once. And it really kind of follows an arc. First, you're just following a path and you have to watch out for dynamite and you have to deal with enemies and so forth. Slide quest is great. It's really engaging, really enjoyable. And I'm very, very much looking forward to four players. Any dexterity children's game can really grab us more on that in the moment. If it is done cleverly and if it does something neat with components, and it is absolutely the case that SlideQuest does both of those things in spades, it's delightful, especially about how it makes you blame your friends. So I I really want to try this four players and see the utter chaos that results. Yeah, and just it's like one of those games that does what it does, right? And there's no huge setup. Open the box, you know, put the levers in, put some train out, and you're already at the races. And, you know, quick, fun time. And, uh... I can't wait, like you said, to try it out four-player. And Blue Orange has really... I, I just got to give another shout-out to Blue Orange Games. They really know how to make a very visually appealing, very nice component set at a very low price. Because Slide Quest especially is a game that's going to live or die based on its components. And everything has to be just right. If the friction is off a little bit... I was amazed at the tolerances for the dynamite, for example. Because if the dynamite falls over, bad things happen. And... I was figuring there's no way that the skinny little rod is going to be able to be shoved around or be able to tolerate being put at a, at a high angle just to get the knight to, to go where the knight needs to go. But it was damn near perfect, just in terms of what will slide when and how it's going to deal with the various angles. And I don't know if that was just a happenstance, if they were just fortunate with it, or if they really did spend the time to, to work out the engineering and, and, and the various uh, frictional elements. Everything comes together in a very, very lovely way. And if this had been manufactured poorly, like I, I see reports of games that rely on physical gimmicks. And I, if, the, if, if it's not manufactured to the nth degree, then it's all going to fall apart and it's just not going to be good. And similarly with dexterity games, the difference between a good dexterity game and a great dexterity game is precisely that extra little bit of manufacturing finesse. And so absolute kudos to Blue Orange for putting this out. It's a great package. Looking forward to trying it some more. On the topic of children's dexterity games, I played Rhino Hero Super Battle. Had some friends in from out of town, and we wanted something kind of cute and engaging, and so naturally I suggested that. And sure enough, it was great. The theme is so ridiculous that I absolutely love it. This is sort of, uh, you know, if you want to take a slightly more dark perspective, this is superheroes ruining the city because they don't actually fight any crime. They're just involved in weird one-upsmanship, in, and as a result, they're going to cause some buildings to collapse. So anybody who's uh, a fan of things like uh, Watchmen of the Boys, this is absolutely a game for you if you want to cast it that way. Uh, just don't explain 
bring that notion too in too detailed away to the children you might be playing with. Just stop it. This hero's name is Big E, and have call it a day. I love me some Rhino Hero Super Battle. If they make a giant version and charge $300 for it, I'm going to have to have a serious, serious consideration of my finances uh, in order to resist because they made a giant one of Rhino Hero, which cost about 100 bucks. Beautiful production. But this is a super cheap and cheerful kids dexterity game. The only way in which it falls apart, and we talk about this often in terms of context of dexterity games, the victory conditions are kind of messed up because it's who wins is almost entirely a function of how well you roll the die to determine determine how high up your hero goes. And that can be a little bit frustrating. So what you have to do when you're about to play a Rhino Hero Super Battle is you're in it for the architectural hubris, and you're not really in it for anything else. you got to set that aside. With slightly better victory conditions, I think that Rhino Hero Super Battle could really be a top-tier game, not even just a top-tier dexterity game, but actually a top-tier game. But such as it is, uh, I do enjoy pulling it out every once in a while, and it is always pretty. And watching people just discover all the lovely little component tweaks, like, oh, the floor designs are different, or, oh, there's art on the inside and outside of the wall pieces. Always a great time. Rhino Hero Super Battle, I highly recommend it. Well, that's Haba Games, right? They Absolutely. They hardly ever miss. It's really. true. It's true. Speaking on games, we both got to play Tiny Epic Mechs, not together, in separate times. So speaking of, we went from games that are good to games that are tiny epic. <laughs> um, this is These are games that are done by uh, Gamelin Games. They do all sorts of tiny epic games. And I've yet to, there's only been one that I've ever enjoyed, and that's Tiny Epic Galaxies. This one just falls in the same sort of, I move here and I do X damage, and then I'm going to move here and do X damage. And there's no, I, I didn't see any outstanding hooky game mechanics here. How many did you play with? There were four, three of us. Okay. I played with two, and I thought it was kind of okay. And by that criterion, it was actually my favorite Scott Alms design thus far. It's weird, because you actually praised Scott Alms' design Martian Dice last week. The, the, that, that was Scott Alms, really? That was Scott Alms, yeah. yeah. I, can, I can tell how surprised you are. I am surprised. Because the only thing that I know Scott Alms from is his Tiny Epic stuff, which I've all found aggressively mediocre. I haven't tried any Epic Galaxies. Everyone says it's it's the one kind of standout. And Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea, which we both despised. Look, Tiny Epic Max was cute. I really liked playing with the little mech meeples. That was definitely the most fun involved. Some people complain that it's a little fiddly and takes too much time. But when it's the best part of the game, I say, fill your boots and take your time. Mount that shoulder-mounted rocket launcher and spend time to make sure that that rifle is at a jaunty angle. Fights started randomly, even with two players, and so I can only imagine that with multiple players, uh, fights would start randomly more often. It's like, oh, I accidentally moved into where you are. I guess we're fighting now? And fights were mostly determined by your depth of weapon field rather than any clever assortment of of planning or purchasing decisions that you made up to that point. I mean, like, it was quick enough. It was relatively inoffensive. But I felt that the programming element was bizarrely tacked on. It didn't need to be there. It only served to aggravate the issue of unintentional conflict, quite frankly. And it's more or less an area control game that wants to present itself as an arena combat game. This whole element of the turrets and the mines didn't really seem to suit. Like, either I'm laying out traps to control territory, or I'm stomping around in a mech. The two together, I didn't think worked very well mechanically or thematically. Did you have that reaction? Exactly, I didn't. didn't make much sense. And the fact that you start the game with a mine in your home base, and it just seemed odd and didn't make much sense. To me, anyway. 
at the end of the day, you've got like a cobbled together mishmash of stuff going on, and it didn't really cohere mechanically or thematically to me. So I'm, I, I'm not particularly inclined to try it again. I'm never particularly inclined to try another Scott Alms design. There have been a whole bunch of tiny epics that I haven't tried, and quite frankly, I'm happier that way. But there's there's a mutual friend of ours that is a huge fan, so sometimes they hit the table, and when they do, I usually just grip my teeth and deal with it. Agreed. And that was Tiny Epic Max. By Gamelin Games. Got to play Horizon Wars. This is another miniature rule set that I've been experimenting with lately. And honestly, the core resolution elements of Horizon Wars, the simple activation process and the way in which uh, attacks are resolved is so excellent that every game of Horizon Wars is, is so far has been a delight. The way weapons interact with each other, the way you build mechs, because you do actually build mechs before the start of the game, you can also customize aircraft, although we haven't been messing too much with that. The way different units feel different, all marvelous. And these are all kinds of things that I'm looking for in a science fiction miniatures game rule set. The one part that I'm still having a little bit of difficulty with is in scenario design. I've tried uh, the, the canned scenarios, and they're a bit weird. And I've tried the new adventure system in the supplement that was released recently called Beyond the Horizon. And I mentioned when I last talked about Horizon Wars that Roby Jenkins, the designer, threatened that he would quit his job if he sold enough copies of Beyond the Horizon. He released a very informative and excellent update where he said he has not sold the, the number of copies. He has He's now starting to explore the possibility of releasing, releasing more regular paid supplements as a sort of, not as a full-time career, but as a significant element of his career going forward. Anyway, so I wish him all the best in that. It was very nice to hear a designer talking a little bit more about the publishing end of things. And I'm looking forward to more games of Horizon Wars because very much like I am kind of stuck in a rut of infinity, every time I play Horizon Wars, I get to try something entirely different. Whole bunch of tanks, no tanks, all infantry, different kind of mechs, weird kind of configurations of things, and they all play out in a very interesting fashion. And so I really want to see the other game modes. I really want to try to see if I can get a, some scenarios or adventures to work the way that I want them to. It could just be a lack of familiarity of me with the system. Maybe if I internalize things more, things will be cl clearer. But again, the core attack resolution and the core uh, army composition rules are so engaging and cool that I am definitely going to be playing Horizon Wars for the, uh, for the near future. The trick is also that we're not really sure what kind of scale we're going to settle on because Horizon Wars was written for six millimeter miniatures six millimeter miniatures are super tiny really small i do not have any experience with six millimeter miniatures and every time i look at them i think that that that's not no i just it so this is a failure of imagination on my part i've played 12 miniature uh, 12 millimeter systems before specifically heavy gear blitz so i've got a whole bunch of heavy gear blitz minis i've also been proxying some of the old uh, pre-painted dark age mech warrior miniatures but they are super ugly so i'm I might be transitioning over to my old new cool stuff from Heavy Gear Blitz, but anyway, so there's some scale woes going on, and we're going to have to figure that out. But as I say, Horizon Wars is a very compelling system, and if you have any interest in tabletop miniatures games, I suggest you give it a look. Be nice. I'd like to get into a game where, because back when Fantasy Battle was a thing, the building your army list was part of the hobby, So and where now it's just, you know, not so much anymore, but I'd like to get into a game where it's actually part of the, the game is making your army list. 
And the different army list composition rules are a lot more accessible than something like, for example, Infinity. Infinity has a huge barrier to entry, not so much in terms of cost because it's still a skirmish game, but in terms of internalizing what all these sundry units do and a whole lot of rule subsystems. Horizon Wars is very simple. Like, do you like heavy infantry? You know, go ahead. Build a list with a bunch of heavy infantry. You want to upgrade them a little bit? Fine, go ahead. So it's flexible and it's accessible and it's really just clean and fun. But as I say, getting the scenario design quite right, that's something that I'm going to have to get some practice with and, and see if I'm able to get it a little bit smoother. Finally, played another game of Kalamala. This is by Fabio Lopiano. He recently released a game at Gen Con called Ragusa, which I haven't tried yet. I'm very much looking forward to. I have yet to have a bad game of Kalamala or indeed... I've yet to have anyone be disappointed with Kalamala. We talked about this in the review. Watching people realize how clever and awesome the action system is, is marvelous and a delight. And actually, I was I was looking into its uh, Board Game Geek page. It's got a really low rating on Board Game Geek. Not that that really means anything in and of itself. It's sitting around a 7.2 with lots of ratings. And I do not understand. Who are these joy kills that do not enjoy themselves from Kalamala? I, I, I don't get it. Maybe it's just the sepia board. Plus, just saying Kalamala. How does that not just make you happy right? Kalamala. Makes it see, just makes you smile when you say it. How can you not love it? <laughs> well, it definitely tells you that you're in for some fun, unlike a boring title like Rhino Hero Super Battle. There you go. Which just sounds like another, it's like, look, another Rhino Hero Super Battle game. It's like, yeah, 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 I've done that a million times before. Kalamala, Italian wool merchants, sign me up. I'm in. Yeah. Anyway, fabulous game. If you haven't tried it yet, give it a shot. Kalamala. All right. Those are the games that we played this week. On to the news and why it really doesn't matter. Hans and Tatanka Big Box. No way. I like uh, Big Box and I cannot lie. Hans and Tatanka Big Box. Hey, well, it's a reprint, right? And it probably comes with all the maps that we already have. HTBB. Well, it's going to be back in print. That's the biggest that's, that's thing, That's what right? I'm saying. Yeah, at least people that want it now can get it. This was confirmed both by the designer and the publisher. It's going to be released in Essen. So one assumes that the contents will include the two, uh, the, 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 two, the two expansion maps, both the East and British Isles. But who knows? Maybe it'll even have new stuff. Maybe they'll make us buy the entire thing over again. Yeah, they'll, they'll mage night us up. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure I have both maps. You have both maps. Does yes. the box not already close with everything in it? The bo- there's, the, it fits very comfortably all within the same box. But everybody's got to have a big box. If there's more than one expansion included, it's got to be a big box. So they're gonna, they're, I'm sure they're gonna up the box size past what it needs to be by some margin. I'm gonna have to go look at my box now, because I know I have at least one expansion map. I thought I had both. I've got everything, and I've also got the mini expansion, and everything fits in the box. But no problem. it doesn't say big box. But it doesn't problem. say big box. They're probably gonna have it designed by Sir Mix a lot. There you go. On to Gray Fox Games. They had a Kickstarter up called After the Empire, and I didn't really read into it. I'm sure there's a whole story about why it was canceled, but it's going to come back up again in early September. But the game itself looks fantastic. All sorts of these plasticky bits where you're building your own little fortress. It starts off, you know, just sticks and wood, and then you replace it with these stone buildings, and you man it with bowmen and spearmen, and then these tokens are attacking it, and four different boards everyone has their own little fortress it's gonna be fantastic mark i can't wait i just want gray fox to release eric royce's cooperative dexterity game anything they do they do that is not that i am automatically less interested in it's true i i did go to their website to try to find out why this was canceled and i sort of went down their line of games and i i know you're not a huge fan of champions of midgard but i nothing besides deception which we both fairly love. I, I really didn't see anything that stood out too, too much. But anyway, 
maybe after the Empire will change that. Maybe their new Champions of Midgard that's coming out will change that. Who knows? But take a look at it. The Kickstarter is going to be up early September. There are going to be Bomberman and Contra board games. Designed by Adam and Brady Sadler of the Sadler Brothers and Blacklist Games. These are interesting licenses to be sure. Not a whole lot of details yet about what's going to be going on, but they're going to be working under contract with uh, with the licensees. Contra apparently, allegedly, is going to be using uh, a modified version of their modular deck system. And the allegation is that it's going to be somewhat more simple than what's going on in Street Masters, which I think is the pro- appropriate direction to take. I don't think Street Masters is overcomplicated, but I think it's about as far as the system wants to go. It's one of the reasons why I didn't like Brook City. It's one of the reasons why I didn't back Ultra Quest. I think that, you know... Street Masters was roughly at the level of complexity that such a system can maintain. And if you're talking about something that's going to be Contra, if it manages to, to capture some sort of feel of the run and gun and uh, possibly give me 99 lives in the process, who knows? But I am I have lots of fond memories of playing Contra in the arcades and on Friends uh, Nintendo Entertainment Systems. I, I had a Sega Master System. It was... Uh, I was... I, I was... I was the unpopular kid. I had a stick in a ball. Um... <laughs> All right, I hope our swag listeners are sitting down because this bit of news, oh my, there's this company, Mark, called Asmodee, and they've bought another company. Heavens to Betsy Walker. Anyway, this does make, this this is a big piece of news, actually, for our Canadian listeners. There is a huge distributor, Lion Rampant, it's been out, it's been around since I can remember buying games. It has been supplying our local gaming stores with games and all across the Canadian, you know, Eastern Seaboard. And probably, you know, across Canada in general, probably. And uh, Asmodee has buy, bought Lion Rampant for a, for a hefty amount. And Lion Rampant even produces some of their own games. So now they'll have licenses for that as well. So we'll see how that goes. If this can make it so that Asmodee and more specifically Fantasy Flight can reliably supply its living and collectible games then great, because every Canadian knows it is super hard to get access to any unit in Armada, for example, which is still theoretically a supported game, or in X-Wing that's five seconds old, all bets are off. Maybe you'll be able to get your hands on it, maybe not, but one hopes that this will at least standardize their distribution, because Canada's often gotten the short end of the stick in such matters. Agreed. Finally, I just want to point out a very excellent article by Mark Rosewater, who's the lead game designer for Magic the Gathering. It's called Why Diversity Matters in Game Design, and it's just a very pragmatic set of design principles about how to get players engaged in a given game. He's talking mostly about Magic the Gathering, but it really does apply to lots of games in general. And it's been getting a little bit of attention on Reddit and elsewhere, and I just really like it because, again, it's the sort of pragmatic approach to inclusion that we here at Swag very much favor and wish to encourage. And anybody who's curious about the importance of representation or anybody who's just interested in game design generally, I think should take a look. I'm going to be including a link to the article in the episode notes. So go give it a read. It's well worth looking at. That is the news and why it doesn't matter. On to the topic. The topic is when, why, and how should someone be excluded from your board game group, from your board game table, from your home, from your gaming store? I'm glad you brought this up, Walker. I think it's time you left. Oh. I realize this is your home, but I think you need to leave. Single tier. So yeah, this is always a a difficult problem. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes your group might be so big that one bad egg or two bad eggs don't 
don't spoil the whole batch. You know, they're either, you know, sometimes they're pushed off to the sides and, you know, don't cause a huge problem. But when the group is small, it's going to be an issue, not only trying to deal with them, but just, you know, the aftermath and, you know, build up to that. And so when, when should the decision be made to say something? Well, the decision to say something obviously is at a lower threshold than to take any other sort of exclusionary action. I, I kind of divide this up into two broad categories because I find this a, a useful rubric when, ta- when when thinking about my objections to people. Not that I not that I catalog them or not that I spend a lot of time <clears throat> sharpening my axe or anything, but to my mind, there there are two separate issues. There are faults of character, and faults of character are. are much more severe. These are blameworthy things that normal, reasonable people ought always to avoid. And I don't think it is reasonable to make too many excuses for them. And then there are faults of personality. And faults of personality are a different matter entirely. And I often find, and this is true especially of people that have been socialized to be particularly nice. This is often but not exclusively women who are raised in an Anglo-American context. But if you're raised that you have to love everybody and you have to go along to get along and it's important to get along with people, people often don't give themselves permission to dislike people. And this is even true sometimes amongst geeks who have this particular set of social fallacies about inclusion that if you invite anybody, you have to invite everybody and that there's, you know, subdivisions are just inherently bad. Now, sometimes that's a, a good perspective, but sometimes it can get toxic. And the long and the short of it is sometimes people don't give themselves permission to dislike somebody, not hate them. Not necessarily exclude them from from group activities, more on that later, but just not like somebody because they don't get along with them or they don't like their personality or they don't share interests or they or what have you. I am not burdened with this particular problem. I give myself freely to free leave to dislike anyone and everyone, but I often find it helpful when thinking about how to deal with problem people or problem instances in a, in a game group to, to think about it. Is this a fault of character or is this a fault of personality? Because they often require different set of responses. Is this a distinction that makes sense to you, Walker? It does, but that also made me think of a third distinction that could be that it could be like the reverse. It could be everyone is fine with this person, but for whatever reason just that one particular person is is finding fault and and not enjoying that person's presence. Ah, yes. That no, could... it, it it it's true. Generally though the in that case self-selection will take over. Like obviously if it's a game group of 10 or so people or or even however many people and one person just hates everybody else, they're just not going to come back. Like or they're going to they're going to suck it up and deal with it. And it's not always like uh you know do or die, you know, they've done something wrong, it's time for them to go sometimes you can resolve the issue, right? So I have, my points are all over the place. So I'm sure. sorry if I jump back all over the place. So go for it. What, some things I have is, one, it's a hard choice to make, you know, talking to the person in the first place. And I usually don't bring it up unless uh, either like other other people are complaining or other people are not showing up anymore because of this person's there. You know, that is a huge issue. Absolutely. So- now you've decided to talk to this person, one of the big first steps, like if you want, if you actually want this person to stay, like if you enjoy this hobby and you want everyone to enjoy this hobby and you, you think that the problems that he's presenting are either curable or you can just tweak it slightly so he'll be more accepted or people will start enjoying his company more. Not that we are the purveyors of how people should act. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying sometimes people have some qu- quirks that, you know, rub other people the wrong way. Talk to them about it, and they 
they have to understand the problem. If they don't think that there's a problem, then then that's an, that's another issue. And then they have to show some sort of willingness to change or or remorse that they've done this in the first place. Because if they don't have any of that, then it, there's no point either. Well, well, let me let me trip up on that right away. I don't know that remorse is necessarily something you need to focus on. Again, this is one of the reasons why I try to separate things out into faults of personality and faults of character. Faults of character are the kind of thing for which remorse may or may not be useful, but generally what you're looking for is not for the person to engage in some sort of big mea culpa and, and rend their hair and garments with guilt. The point is to make sure that everyone can get along and enjoy each other's company. And if it's just a fault of personality, very often faults of personality are entirely blameless. If somebody's obnoxious, if, somebody, if you just don't like their personality, there's nothing for them to apologize for. Nobody needs to apologize for their personality unless, and I'm talking here strictly speaking about their personality, not something masquerading as personality. It's like, oh, it's just my personality to tell racist jokes. No, that's not a personality. That's a fault of character. But again, this notion that we have to, that any time people don't get along, that's because someone has done something for which they need to apologize. That's an axiom that I find repeated frequently. And I realize that people don't repeat it with the idea of, of reinforcing this toxic idea, but it is a toxic idea that everyone needs to get along and that if they don't, someone has, someone has faulted. True. I'm not, not so much that they have to apologize, just the fact that they have to know what their, be, their behavior was causing problems with other people. Sure. Because if they don't see that happening, then they're just going to continue or they'll fall back into it. Or they won't, you know, advance as being, you know, a decent gamer. Like knowing that people's time is very important. Knowing that sometimes, you know, this is someone's only night of freedom that, you know, they need to be having this fun because they don't have any other time to do it. Like this is a very, sometimes it is a very, you know, sacred time for people. So let's talk about some specifics. I've, I've got some specific uh, characteristics here that I've encountered or I have heard people talk about in other contexts. And I, I'd like to uh, just just to identify some specifics. One of them, and uh, <clears throat> I've heard about this before, and for me this would be, a, uh, I, I think, a pretty serious red flag that would make me not necessarily never want to do anything with them ever again, but would certainly seriously reconsider it. I have heard of instances of table flipping, like serious actual physical table flipping in an act of frustration because someone's not doing well or some other act of frustration with the game. Now, I should stress right at the outset, I'm a bit of a hypocrite on this because I get very frustrated by some things as well. Not always by losing, although some that, that's usually an aggravating factor, but I try not to manifest it physically because there's nothing worse than table flipping if for no other reason than, number one, it destroys the game state, so you've very clearly scuppered the social contract that led to this arrangement in the first place. And number two, let's be honest, it's violent. That is an act of violence. And an act of violence in a social situation should never be okay. I, I've seen people throw components. Throwing components down on the table in an act of disgust is about as far as I'm willing to tolerate. And even then, it makes me very uncomfortable, and I wish people would stop doing it. I've seen someone throw dice and the whole re the one at somebody or no no in in like they you know it was like the third time they've rolled something terrible they threw them off into the corner said these dice are awful I don't want them anymore and they, they were own they were his own dice sure it was, it was in a miniatures game and there were his own dice so it wasn't though they were their game components or you know somebody else there was his own stuff but still a little over the top and the reason uh, I brought this topic up in the first place was like the game was set up. And the person says, no, I don't want to play this. And they sweep the table with their hand, you know, and push the components off, to, like, back towards the box. But sure. St but still, that was just, like, 
like whoa yeah in in the privacy of someone's own home in the context of knowing someone for a long time even then i get very very uncomfortable and i think it's a very serious problem in a public environment with mixed company at that point i think it is a it is a solid no go absolutely because people don't know how angry or how people deal with their anger you know me well enough to know that on the occasions when I'm being a jerk and I'm getting a little bit visibly frustrated or I start making fun of somebody or I start talking a little aggressive, you know that I'm not going to fly off into a fit of violence. But the thing is, somebody else doesn't. And so when I get visibly frustrated in public playing a game with a stranger and I might throw throw the, throw the a hand of cards down in front of me in disgust, that's not okay. And I need to stop doing that 100%. Because, yeah, people who know me know I'm not going to engage in actual in anything further, but people who don't, don't. And it is not acceptable to taint a social atmosphere with even the, the, the vaguest idea of the possibility of violence. Agreed. And then there's the people that want to, there's only the, they want to play only their games, the games they want to. And we've had the instance where someone would come to the game group and set, it was a lighter group, right? They played more party games, more medium games, and and they would show up and they'd set up this huge, complicated, you know, four-hour game, and no one would join them, and then eventually it led to a, you know, an explosion, and and sometimes you know you just have to, like we always said, read the crowd, know when you know when to when never to push the matter, but you know just know know your crowd. Every social engagement, whether it's a simple conversation or whether it's a broader game group, relies on compromise and mutual understanding. And obviously, people don't always get to play the game that they want to play all the time. And yeah, I've seen people react with great frustration at this, and I've also seen people be very, very inflexible. There has to be some give and take. And at the point where somebody isn't willing to engage in that level of flexibility, like there happens to be in our local group a number of people who always want to play the same game over and over again. And that's fine, and they play with each other. It's not about self-segregation or anything. It just so happens they all want to do the same thing. But if there was one person who always only wanted to play the same game and nobody else, that would start being a problem. That person either needs to decide to, to compromise and have a slightly different vision of how their evening is going to go or deal with the frustration of just having to leave and trying to have to go do something else. So when I was researching this, I came up with a whole bunch of, there was a whole bunch of circumstances. I just, I'm only going to bring up this one just because it wasn't, it's not a personal one. So I don't want to go into all these things that I didn't see personally, but, and it's another topic that I had in mind. It's bringing children to game night and just, just feeds back into what I talked about before, where there's this group of people that got together and this was their time away from their children, like they, this is the night they set aside. They're going to go out. They're going to play games without their spouses and without their children. But this one guy would continuously bring his nine-year-old child to the group. And you don't want to exclude the child. You know, it should be fine. It's a board game. Children should be able to play board games. But, you know, that's not sort of the contract that they had set up, right? And, you, and so it's hard to bring up these things to people. I've been accused, perhaps fairly, of not being the most tolerant for children, but it really depends on the child. I know lots of children who are more than able to go and entertain themselves in the corner. And I know I know that when I invite their parents 
to various activities, the child might come along, and that's fine because I know they can entertain themselves. But if the child's too young or of a slightly different disposition or what have you, or if the, 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 the kid assumes that they're going to be able to join in on whatever the adults are doing, that obviously problematizes things. It's not unique, however, to children because I actually have written down here as one of the faults of personality that tends to manifest itself sometimes in games nights is the gamer that bites off more than they can chew. Because not every gamer is able to play every game. There are some games that are beyond me, there are some games that are beyond you, and some games that might be within one of our grasp, but not the other, etc., etc. And it is fine if you're able to recognize your limits, and you're able to ask a couple of meaningful questions, but people who routinely, even after a couple minutes of rules explanation, are clearly not getting it and are not going to get it, but are not self-aware enough to be able to say, yeah, maybe we should play something else. I realize it's a hard thing to say. It's really difficult and it requires self-awareness and it requires the courage of your conviction and being able to, you know, try to suggest a different activity for the group. But it, I find it so frustrating and it happened, it's happened to me very frequently getting knee deep in a rules explanation. I know for a fact that this player is not going to be able to pull their weight in terms of, of the overall structure of the game, but I can't come out and say, we're going to play something else because you're too dumb to get this. Or I I wouldn't put it that way. Of course, but that's what it feels like saying. And so I have to say, are you okay with this? We can play something else. Yeah. They've, you've, they've tuned in. I was there in one of these circumstances where the, the player is obviously completely tuned out. Yeah. They're, they're fiddling with the components and you know that when this game starts, we're going to have to go over the entire thing again, step by step, as we go through the game. Right. So I have four things here. Now that this player is not not savable, now it's time to ask them to leave. Now, how do we go about this? I, when I was doing my research, this, there was this nice little four different lines that this person has put in. I thought they were all very good. First one is... We believe what you want out of the game group isn't the same experience that the other members are looking for. We value your opinions, but our gaming sessions suffer from your often combative approach. That's good, too. What, how come you're, you're addressing this to me, Walker? Why aren't you talking <laughs> to the mic? I'm not looking directly at you when I say... Oh, wait. Yes, I am. <laughs> we want... This one I didn't like so much, but anyway. I'm want, not combative. You're a doo-doo head. <laughs> you're a poopy face. We want... We want to keep our gaming group strong with members who attend regularly and come prepared to game. Oh, wow. I, I was with you with the first that's two. That's what that's I meant. Not... That, well, I said before I read this, I didn't like this one so much. Yeah, no, it's not, that sounds awfully like committee speak. Yeah. Uh, here we go. This one was... If you, uh, if you no longer share our group's stated goals, then perhaps you'd be happy if you joined another group. Stated goals, huh? I mean, obviously in those contexts, it helps when the group has set itself up under explicit conditions. Like you said, when there's a common understanding, or at least you can sort of backtrace a common understanding, this is the group where we get away from our partners and our and our children, then obviously you can point to those things. But there are contexts, I've, ha- I've had to disinvite people, and it was excruciating. And I was extremely fortunate that the circumstances in which I had to disinvite people were due to entirely forgivable oversights on everyone's part. And it was just for the sake of other attendees' comfort that I had to I had to ask people to stop coming. And I was able to be able to say, okay, here are these other things that we're going to do even independently of your coming from the group. And to their credit, this person and I are still very good friends, and I value their company a great deal, and everyone is now fine with everybody else. So somehow, <laughs> despite the fact that I don't think it, I handled it very well, and it gave me serious grief, I did not enjoy it at all. Despite how I sound, I'm like every other conservative, polite Canadian 
I hate conflict. I don't like bringing, I don't like talking about things or, or engaging in actual conflict. It's just really awful. And, uh, it was, you know, I did have to spend some time thinking of preparing a script. It was just like, it was kind of like preparing an intervention, but not, oh man, it was terrible. Yeah. Same, same boat. I, I don't enjoy conflict whatsoever, but when it's when it's making the game session suffer or other people are suffering because of this one person, yep. I, I can't abide by it. In many ways, I wish in in, in some contexts, it's the, the, the more gross the error, the easier it is to deal with, right? right. If, I, if anyone was ever caught deliberately cheating, no problem. Right. You, right. you don't need to worry about complicated. It's like, look, I, I you know, I, I can't play games with you anymore. You're deliberately flouting the basic conventions that make games possible so long. Like, that, that would be fine. And whether you still want to be friends with them or, or whatever, that, that, that that's a separate issue. I've had uh, th- there's another recurring problem that I've I've observed before that I think would also be relatively easy to deal with. I've noticed some couples can't play games together. Maybe they don't realize it yet. They either always fascinatingly avoid conflict with each other or the more strange ones constantly go at each other yeah. right from the start of the game, which is a fascinating social dynamic, but it's not one that I want any part of. Cause again, we've talked about this in the terms of the sort of social and moral obligations of playing competitively and what that looks like. And part of that is not automatically targeting somebody or failing to target somebody at the start of the game, regardless of the context, those would be relatively easy. But the problem is, and while I was thinking about this again, under the aegis of the distinction between faults of character and faults of personality, it's the faults of personality that are harder to deal with and can be just as destructive. Let me give you an example. In several game groups that I've encountered, in several cities, actually, there have been instances of an individual who starts showing up and is super enthusiastic and hasn't done anything wrong. They haven't engaged in any act of aggression. They don't harass people, per se, or any of those other things that you could identify and point to and say, you have to stop doing this thing. And then if they keep doing it, you can disinvite them. They're just supremely annoying. They're just really, really unpleasant to be around because their personality is extremely unfortunate. And that's nobody's fault. But if it's so unpleasant to be around a table with somebody for 60 to 120 minutes, that can be just as destructive as the person who deliberately cheats or what have you. And it's harder to deal with. So you end up with people self-segregating. I I noticed one instance, uh, one fascinating pathology, where people would just lie to the person and say, we arranged this ahead of time, so we already have our players, or they would lie about the nature of the game. They knew what kind of preferences that person had and would start lying about what kind of game it was. Oh yeah, this is totally the kind of thing that you'd enjoy. We sincerely recommend that you don't do this. It was so awkward and terrible, and attendance suffered. People stopped coming because dealing with the situation, whether it's having to sit around with this person or lie to them or, or, or deliberately exclude them, which is awkward and terrible, is really, really destructive. And that is one of the situations... That kind of, of dynamic that I have no idea what to do with. How do you sit down with somebody and say, well, we, we'd rather you stop coming because we just think you're unpleasant. You can't fix somebody's personality, certainly not in the context of a, of, of a sitting down and talking to. Again, if you catch someone cheating, someone, someone has problems with their temper, these are awkward conversations and painful, but you can still point to things. But it's these persistent personality problems that sometimes are just as deadly. The other thing we sort of ran into lately is is it's sort of a cuz you're sort of getting together it's like getting together with friends it's having this uh this group that gets together interacting with other people and some people might think it's a good time to 
start a relationship. Maybe start hitting on the other players, start asking them out on dates after or before or during the game. And that makes it very awkward. But, you know, but then you can you can make the argument that that's, well, that's why I came is to interact with people, is to meet new people, is to, you know, that can be because, oh, I met my wife at a, at a gaming group, right? And so how do you start that in the first place, right? So these are these are problems that sort of need to be worked out. It's very awkward. Yes, absolutely. But I think there are at least some things that you can say in the general. Obviously, each case is different. One of the ways that one of the things that was that was told to me and makes sense to me is in an environment where people are basically pinned in public spaces where, you know, it's in the middle of the game. And so you're kind of stuck for a certain time commitment. That's not really a good environment to start busting out your romantic chops in an environment where there's a very, 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 very strong gender imbalance, that's also not necessarily the best time to start busting out your romantic chops. Simply because there are issues of power dynamic and comfort of the the people involved and, and weird elements of the culture that need to be reinforced. But I agree with you. It's not reasonable to say that you shouldn't ever consider making romantic overtures to anyone in a gaming context, like that that's obviously overbroad and no one needs to be protected that much. But at the same time, I've seen enough people who don't, again, who aren't quite socially calibrated properly, who end up having toxic effects and running people out of, of common game groups. And it's, it's a, it's a desperately unfortunate problem. I just want to be clear. I, I never, I didn't meet my wife at a game group. I said, some people have said that. I, I didn't, I didn't do that. Sure. Some people have met their partner at a game group. Yes. So it sort of came out that I had said that. Sure, <laughs> sure. Exactly. Make sure we're clear that it right. didn't. Exactly. And then finally, there's uh, this has happened to me a couple of times. I had to self-ban myself from a couple of, of gaming groups because, not because of anything that I was doing. I'm sure there are lots of people who wish I could have been banned from public groups. Make no mistake. I, I, I don't know who these people would be, though. I, I... <laughs> Look, when when sitting Sorry, down to just in terms in, in terms of perfect uh, transparency, when sitting down and thinking about these faults of character and faults of personality, a solid number of them. Yeah, I do that. I do that. I do that. I'm prone to that. Absolutely. And on top of that, there are a lot of people who just don't like me, and that's fine. Again, it is okay not to like somebody because you think they are supremely annoying. And a number of people find me supremely annoying, and that's fine. If you're 50 minutes deep into this podcast and you still find me supremely annoying, my sincerest apologies, and you must really love Walker something fierce, in which case you probably have good taste. But I definitely have a temper problem, and I need I need to continue to deal with that. That's just a, 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 a lifeline process. But, well, let, 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 me, let me be clear. It's awkward to do this, but I very frequently in gaming contexts, both video games and board games, find myself asking people to stop using certain terms. Uh, like stop using jip as an insult or to stop using retard as a pejorative or things like that. That comes up all the time. And I don't want to feel like I'm policing anybody's speech, but at the same time, I can't be comfortable in a social environment where I feel like those words are being tossed around as slurs. And so sometimes I've been in context where like, would you mind not using whatever, or I would prefer it if you didn't. And typically people immediately get defensive, which is natural. Calling, calling attention to someone's behavior or defensiveness is often a first reaction. Again, I do that too. But if they then consist, persist in doing this or even double down, usually at that point, it's like, eh, sorry, I'm out, which is pretty much the only thing I can do. I can't, I can't force them to change, but if I'm not comfortable, I've got to leave. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks very much for joining us for So Very Wrong About Games. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach Walker via his email, justrolledadice at gmail.com. You can reach me, Mark Bigney, on Twitter, at the games you like. For more public discussion, you can find the So Very Wrong About Games Facebook page, or you can check out our Board Game Geek Guild, which is guild number 3236, and you can find us on Patreon. We read everything you send us, and we'll get back to you if we can. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon. If you liked it, tell a friend.
What are friends? You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bigney. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time. And always, try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. <laughs>